Well, this past week was uh, Thanksgiving three days ago. Uh, I know I've talked with several of you about your Thanksgiving and how it was. Um, trust the Lord was honored uh, with your time. And I just wanted to continue that theme of Thanksgiving here this morning. So if you take your Bibles, open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse this Sunday. In fact, we're going to look at one phrase of one verse this Sunday. We've been steamrolling through the book of Mark at a fast clip intentionally. And um, it's always good to slow down. And we're going to slow down today looking at half a verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Look at the first half of the verse. says this, In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Give thanks. Now, this verse is so short that I think we can remember, we can memorize it, right? You remember the, the way to memorize things, to say it out loud over and over. Let's say it together. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Okay, who thinks they got it now? Karen, you got it? That's right. Okay. What do you think, Conrad? You got it? In everything, give thanks. Yeah, we got one back. McKaylee, you got it? Shout real loud. Good, good. Steffi, I know you like to say it. And then Garth, how about you got it? You got it? Okay, wonderful. We got it memorized. Now, now the issue isn't any longer whether you know what the Bible says, it's whether you can apply what the Bible says, right? My message this morning is entitled, In Everything. It's really a prolonged meditation upon... This phrase, in everything, give thanks. Now, notice we can take this verse and chop it up a little bit. We notice there's a command here in verse 18. There it is, to give thanks. In everything, give thanks. There's the verb, give thanks. That's what we did last week in our service. In fact, for an entire service, we gave thanks to the Lord. Thankfulness is a characteristic of all believers in Christ. James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shifting shadow. And giving thanks is merely recognizing the giver of the gifts, lifting our praise and adoration to God. And let me tell you, as a pastor, I was especially incredibly blessed by last week, as many of you acknowledge the hand of God upon your lives and the blessing that you have been given, and you just acknowledge that back to the Lord. And I just say, nothing will stir my heart as a pastor and to see us, the church, being a, a thankful body of believers. We are blessed and it ought to be our response to give thanks to Him. And so know that if she gave thanks last week, whether publicly or whether in your heart or whether in your family, however you express thanks, that was pleasing to the Lord, obeying this command. Now, notice here there's a modifier here to this command. And probably this modifier is where... Most of my message here will really focus upon it in many ways. And the modifier here says, in everything. It tells us when to give thanks. And the answer is really simple. It just says, all the time. So what we did last Sunday ought to have continued into Monday and continued into Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday for Thanksgiving. And ought to continue into Friday and Saturday and today's Sunday and ought to continue into Monday and into Tuesday and into Wednesday and into the whole Christmas season and into 2013. In everything, give thanks. It says that what, what we've done in giving thanks ought to continue, whether that's 
here at church, whether that's at home, in the workplace, in the community, traveling someplace in your car. Listen, never is there a time when thankfulness ought not to be the expression of your heart. Never is there a time when thankfulness is to be absent from your life. Never is there a time where you can get away from this command if we're supposed to be thankful in everything. Wherever we are, we should give thanks in all times in everything. It should pervade our lives. Now, this command here is one of three commands in the immediate context. We see verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. And verse 18 says, In everything give thanks. Now, these three activities are... Our activities ought to saturate our lives. We ought to be joyful, thankful, praying people. Always rejoicing, always praying, always giving thanks. In fact, if you would read 16, 17, and 18 in the Greek text, the, the emphasis upon everything or always or at all times is always first. So it, might, it reads like this. Always rejoice, unceasingly pray, in everything give thanks. Just that, that's the emphasis here. It's just a, a continual all the time. 24-7-365 activity. You say, is this important? Well, let's look at the next phrase. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. <clears throat> it says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People are always looking for God's will. What, what is God's will in my life? What, 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 what does God really want of me? I'll tell you what God really wants of you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. That is God's will for your life. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then rejoice always. In any and every circumstance, find reasons to have joy in God. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then pray without ceasing. The only way to do that is offer up breath prayers. Just help me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Guide me. Help me. Just throughout the day, all the time. It's the only way you can pray always. Just, it means you should always have two conversations going on, right? A conversation maybe with your neighbor, and then a conversation with God. Just a prayer to God. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then give thanks in everything. Whatever comes into your day, give thanks to the Lord for those things that come. This is God's will for us who are in Christ Jesus. Now... If you're a believer in Christ, all you need to do is think about the gospel, think about what God has done for our souls, and everything then will flow right. Jesus, our Savior, has come to rescue us from our sins. He lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live. He died a sacrifice upon the cross for our sins that when we believe in Him, our sins are forgiven. We have fellowship between us and the Lord while we as enemies have now become His friend. He changes us, giving us new hearts and new desires. And if that is your perspective, reflect upon the Gospel how easy it is to rejoice, right? Because we've been reconciled to the God of the universe. God has become our friend. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. That We stand before God <clears throat> innocent and clean. We have no longer fear a judge. We can rejoice in those things. Easy for us to pray because God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, has transformed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And we are now children of God with an advocate, Jesus Christ, on our side. We can pray because we know that Jesus is on our side and He will pray to the Father for us. He is the mediator. We can pray. And understanding and believing the gospel, how easy is it for us to give thanks because the blessings of the gospel abound to us. We are, we are in the care of our Heavenly Father 
And we have an eternity of joy and pleasures that await us in heaven. What else can we do but give thanks in everything? Now, these three commands give the flavor of a Christian life. They ought to say, well, what kind of aroma do we, do we give off? What kind of, how do we live as believers in Jesus? Well, it's really simply here. We're just always rejoicing, always praying, always giving thanks. Like, like I think about a football player. The flavor of a football player ought to be aggressive. Right? He, he, ought, to, he ought to have that, that passion and that strong, that's what he's going to do, right? And the emergency room doctor needs to be attentive to everything that's going on. And the truck driver needs to be alert as he drives down the road. And so also Christians need to always fill our hearts in the morning, right? With uh, joy and prayer and thanksgiving. As we walk through our day, we ought to be joyful, thankful, praying people. As we lie down at night, we should be filled with joy and prayer and thanks. This is God's will for all of us. So... Let's just think about this. What does it mean in everything give thanks? Well, let's think about the opposite of that, not giving thanks. One of the characteristics of non-believers, of unbelievers, is that they don't have a thankful attitude. It comes from Romans chapter 1. Since the creation of the world, God's indivisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. God has made Himself clear and known to all people through the creation. And yet... Even though people, typical people, though they know God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. God's revealed Himself to everyone who's ever walked the planet and yet for those who don't believe, they don't honor the Lord. Rather, they live for their own pleasures and they neglect to offer thanks. They, ne- they neglect to acknowledge the giver of gifts, even the giver of life. Rather, they operate as if they are the ones who made this life possible. And I think one of the reasons why Thanksgiving is universally accepted in our culture and other cultures as well, is, is because even unbelievers know that, that there is something that we ought to give thanks to the Lord. That, that, because God has put some things in our hearts, we know that we ought to give thanks to God. And we know something is wrong when Christmas time, Grandma gives Johnny a little truck and Johnny's eyes lighten up in the truck and he takes the truck and he runs off and he just enjoys the gift without acknowledging the giver. And we all acknowledge that that's wrong. Even non-believers acknowledge that that's wrong. That there ought to be. And we'll, we'll, we'll take Johnny. We'll say, Johnny, say, say thank you to Grandma. And then he'll turn and he'll say thanks to Grandma. And he'll continue on his way. Still we know something's wrong because not wholehearted thanks is given. Just, just a little bit of thanks is given. But there, there's something within us that we know that we ought to give thanks where it is appropriately due. And for us as believers, we know that that thanks ought ultimately be to given to God. He is our creator. He's given us life. And in giving thanks, think about it. It's an opportunity for us to give glory to the creator. As, as we thank the Lord, it, it, it just it, it exalts the Lord. Think about how we have that opportunity to do that frequently. We have an opportunity to do that all the time. In fact, now we have the opportunity, we have the mandate in everything to give thanks to the Lord. And I know I, I fail in that. I, I don't. I don't think about that. We, we've had a couple of men's outings to try to be more evangelistic. And um, I thought about this a couple of weeks ago. We had several of us went we paintballing. We had 11 of us. And um, we had several who were not Christians, friends that were invited. Um, 
seven of us from the church, I think, and four of us not from the church and invited. And, and I remember when uh, we got towards the end, we're handing in our, our guns and protective gear that I, I just really been meditating on this verse. I said, you know what? Let's just give thanks to the Lord, guys. And so just even right there, I just prayed a short prayer. It wasn't an elegant prayer, but it was just a prayer of thanks to the Lord. That's how we ought to pray. You know, we had an opportunity here. We played um, flag football on Turkey Sunday, whatever, Thanksgiving, Sunday, Thanksgiving Thursday. And uh, just to go out and burn some. And we had several unsafe people among us. And you know what? I just, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't take that opportunity to do the same thing. I, I should have. Just said, hey, guys, let's pray. Make an impact upon unbelievers. Just what we do is different. We can just do that all the time. And, and you, you can pray real fast, real easy, part of everyday life. It doesn't have to take a, a long time. Um, you know, even even having played football, I could have said, hey guys, just pray. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful time. Just thank you for Jesus in his name, amen. Even as simple, simple as that. And I just encourage you, parents, just to be thankful. Maybe you're driving down the road, you know, and maybe you had a, a close close call or an accident or someone ran a red light and you didn't. How easy is it to say, hey guys, let's just thank the Lord, right? And you can even say this with your eyes closed, still driving around. Father, we thank you that you protected us. Amen. And you can still go on your way if you wanted to close your eyes, right, and get technical about it, right? Or, or maybe there's some things in your life, maybe that you, you want to have as triggers. It says, you know what, this is a trigger to give thanks. And I think the biggest trigger, when do you all maybe give thanks the most often? What's a trigger in your life? Food, right? When, before you eat, before you eat, you just say, you know what, this is a time for us to give thanks and you, there might be some other things, though, maybe that would be a good trigger. Maybe for you men who have jobs, maybe a good place to trigger would be just as you're walking in the place. Maybe there's a, whatever, some kind of rock near the door. Every time you see that rock, man, maybe you should open the door and you should just say, Father, thank you that you've given us this provision. Or maybe it should be every time you open your refrigerator door to realize that you have food inside your refrigerator. That that, that maybe should be a trigger to say, Thank you, right? If your refrigerator door squeaks, which it doesn't, but maybe it should squeak, thank you, right? That you have food there. Or your home, maybe your, your door squeaks or crowns. Maybe you should think about it saying, thank you, Lord, for home. Or maybe, um, you know, when you, when you go to a store and those electric doors go, every time you walk through an electric store, door, maybe you ought to say, well, Thank you that I'm in this country. Thank you that I have the means to go and purchase whatever it is that I need to purchase. Maybe your key, when you put it in your car, might be a time to give thanks to the Lord for having a car or for, or maybe even praying the Lord for protection. Just praying always. I just encourage you, get some triggers. Get some keys in your life where... Um, Every life, every everyday things, mundane things are just reminders to say thank because if we need to give thanks in everything, I think we need some helps and some reminders would be helpful. Now this command here in First Thessalonians five eighteen is not the only time such an exhaustive command is given in the scripture. Colossians three seventeen. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, all the activities of our life, whatever we do, we should do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, through Him, to God the Father. Everything. I mean, that's, that's another exhaustive verse. In fact, even as I thought about preaching on Thanksgiving, I, I thought about even going to Colossians 3.17, but God drew me here at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Same message I could have preached from the same text. Different text. Or how about the flip side of this? All right? 
What is what is the flip side, Chris? What's the flip side of Thanksgiving? What is it? Complaining. So here's another exhaustive verse. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without grumbling or complaining. It's the opposite of giving thanks. Thankfulness, acknowledge the goodness of the Lord. What does complaining do? It questions the goodness of the Lord. In fact, it says God is not good because of the things that have been brought into my life. And as much as the Lord loves to receive our praise and honor and thanks, He hates our grumblings. He hates our grumblings. So think about our service last week. I believe God was greatly honored and greatly glorified as many of us gave thanks of testimonies to the Lord. What if we would have had a, a gripe session? Okay, who's got a complaint against the Lord today? And you just complain and complain and complain and complain. Now, that would have been as displeasing to the Lord as was what we did last Sunday. Gripe sessions, by the way, are not good. They are not, you're not giving thanks in everything. You are complaining about other things. And I just say, may the spirit of thanksgiving continue through our celebrations, right, this holiday season. And I just notice we think about complaining that as sinful people, complaining is our default mode. This is where we will just naturally fall. We need to work to fall into the thankfulness side. That's why we need God's grace. And I know I do my fair share of complaining. There's much to complain about. This is a sinful world. I'm a sinful man. Because He's changed our hearts and our spirit. That's why we need to give thanks in everything. Now, Let's think about our, our testimonies last week. and really, uh, It rains a gamut all over. Thankful for the Lord. Thankful for Jesus, for the Gospel, for family, what He has given to us, for provisions, for circumstances in our life, for things that have gone our way. and Thankful for all the blessings that He's poured out upon us. And it, it's only right to praise the Lord for all those things. And I just say, Amen. If, if a blessing comes your way, God, pour it out into praise to God instantly. And as much as you can. But I think we often miss the scope of this verse because this verse doesn't just say when things are really good, give thanks to the Lord. Right? What does it say? In everything, give thanks. See, it's not just when things go well that we ought to be thankful. It's even when things turn for the worse that we need to be thankful for those circumstances as well. In fact, let me just be honest with you. Those are the testimonies I like the most. When things have gone bad and yet still people find the blessings in the difficult circumstances. Now notice what it says. It doesn't say for everything give thanks. I don't think we should give thanks for sin. I don't think we should give thanks for evil or or the harm done to us. But it does say this in everything give thanks. I think here's what it says. Even in awful, sinful, evil situations, there will be things in that situation where we can give thanks. One of the best illustrations of this came about in the life of Matthew Henry. Puritan commentator, preacher, pastor. I don't know, lived in the 1600s probably. And, and uh, one time he's on the way to speak at a Christian gathering. I don't know where he was. And as he was, he was walking along the way, he was robbed I don't know, at gunpoint, whatever, give me all your money. So he gave all his money to these robbers, continued on his way, spoke wherever he was speaking, and then came back home. When he came back home, he began to think about things and reflect a bit. 
and he thought about Thanksgiving and, and he said this, he wrote this in his diary. He said, let me be thankful that I was robbed tonight. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Let me be thankful second because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Let me be thankful third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And let me be thankful fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed another. Think about that. Here's Matthew Henry getting robbed. And he finds four things to be thankful for in the midst of that. And I, I think that what he's doing is he's being thankful in everything. Seeing the evil that was done to him and yet then seeing the blessings on the other side. He does what the hymn calls us to do. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking that all is lost. <clears throat> count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. In other words, when life is difficult and you're discouraged and... Things have not gone your way. When hardships have come. Uh, what the hymn says and what this verse says is, is think deeply about your circumstances and you'll find that there are blessings in those which you can give thanks for. In fact, I not only know that there are things in your difficulties and hardships to be thankful for, I can guarantee you that there are things in your hardships that you can give thanks for. To God for. You say, how can you guarantee that, Steve? Well, first of all, this command tells us in everything to give thanks. There's got to be something there. But also, I think, a trust in the sovereignty of God. That God is working in our lives. Right? The great verse, Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God or are called according to His purpose. Think about that. God is causing all things to work together for good. So orchestrating circumstances for those who love Him and for those whom He has called, He's orchestrating all these circumstances, causing them to work together for the good. Not only does God use good things to work together for the good, but He also causes bad things to work together for the good. That's what this says. God causes all things to work together for the good. He causes your horrible circumstances to work together for the good. He even causes sin to work together for the good in your life. Uh, one of the greatest illustrations is Paul and Silas, right? They came to Philippi. They, they, they went down to the riverside where they thought there was a place of prayer. Indeed, there was. There were some women who were there. They preached Christ. One, and several of them came to faith, one of whose name was Lydia. Her family then, as they heard the message, followed in faith. All was going well in Philippi. I have this budding people who are believing in Jesus until Paul cast this demon out of this girl who had a spirit of divination. And uh, she could predict the future and and uh, when the owners of this girl saw that their future opportunity of profit was gone, they got mad and they, they stirred up a crowd. And they, this crowd then began to attack Paul and Silas. They began to beat them. And before it was all over, Paul and Silas found themselves in prison. And yet in these circumstances, Paul and Silas were joyful. They were, they were praising and singing. They are praying and singing hymns of praise to God. You say, how, how, how can that be? How, how can you sing praise to God and hymns to God when you've been beaten with rods, you've been thrown into this stinky, filthy, sewer-ridden hole of a prison, your feet are fastened in stocks? How can you do that? It's only by knowing that the sovereignty of God is working in all your circumstances, causing it to work together for good. You may not see it, you may not know it, 
But God has His plan and God has a, a good plan. So think about what happened with Paul and Silas. So he says, as it turned out, God used his circumstances in their life of the jailer to show them the reality of the Savior. There was an earthquake, right, which shook the foundations of the prison house and everyone's chains were unfastened. Then the jailer was about to kill himself because freed prisoners was going to cost him his life. And, and Paul cried out to him, don't harm yourself, we're here! Shocked probably at how they could sing hymns, but shocked also probably they didn't escape when they could have. He cried out to them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And of course, the answer came back. Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. You and your household. And then a church was established. The glory of God sprang forth from that place. And Paul would later write a letter to those in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer with thanks, with joy. In my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel for the first day until now. Paul's looking back. The first day the gospel came to Philippi. And as he thought about, even from the first day until now, he's thinking about that time in prison. And he's thankful to the Lord for his time in prison, which then we use God used the means of converging the, the Philippian jailer. And then the, the church spread there in Philippi. As many heard the message of the gospel of Christ and believed. And I would say, just as... Paul and Silas singing praying hymns to the Lord in prison were what God used in the jailer's life. That is what God uses in our lives as well. This is when the world looks on. See, it's one thing to, you know, have, have all these blessings and everything, right? Huge everything. And then say, oh, look at how much God has blessed me. But it's another thing to be downtrodden and distressed and yet still through it say, the Lord is merciful and gracious, has dealt with me graciously. Right? It's, it's when difficulties come in life and you still praise the Lord in everything, giving thanks. That's when the world takes notice because that's different. But that's when we ought to count it all joy. It causes trials to come upon our lives. And we can be thankful even for the bad things that take place in our life because I think in many ways God uses the bad things to bring the good things. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God who call according to His purpose. Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer, when she was six weeks old, many of you probably know this story, um, had some medicine given to her, I think drops in her eyes, which basically blinded her. Six weeks old. And one could think that these things could make her bitter, but on the contrary, Fanny Crosby embraced her blindness. Enough to write this. Listen, think about this. Blind from six weeks old because of a doctor's error. She said, oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep inside because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She'd go on to say, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind in all my life and I Thank Him for this dispensation. Did you see the sovereignty of God in there? The, the providence of God that I would be blind and I thank Him for these circumstances. And then she finds in everything give thanks. She says, If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. If I'd have been able to see, like, like maybe I'd have been, been caught up in what I'm looking at 
And I wouldn't have meditated much upon the Lord to write these hymns. She wrote 8,000 hymns in her day. And we sang one of them today, right? Do you remember which one we sang? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. That's Fanny Crosby. And it may well have been that the, the blindness that the Lord struck her with was the very means through which she faced trials, the very means through which she understood her need for redemption, which is the very means which she wrote that and allowed us to sing that same song today. She was thankful in everything. And we understand thankfulness when the blessings come, but listen, we need to understand and remember to be thankful even when difficulties come. And, and there is a way that when we go through life and, and we look back and we look at our difficulties that we can say thank the Lord for those those things in our lives. I was with my sister recently and um, she was talking about the, uh, the Great Recession that's taking place. Her husband's in real estate. And of course, if you know, real estate last four years has been really bad. It's probably been hit worse because the housing market's the thing that brought uh, a lot of things down in our market today. And she was just talking about how thankful she was about the things and difficulties she's faced as a family. She had to go back to work as a nurse to help support their family. They've lost a lot. But she said, my husband's a different man today than he was several years ago before these things took place. He's much more humble, much more dependent upon the Lord. And those things wouldn't have come about apart from the difficulties that he's faced. And I thank the Lord for that. Now, she didn't say it exactly those words, but that's what she meant and intended. And that's what the spirit of her communication was. And I know that many of you have found circumstances in your life that are particularly challenging. And looking back, you realize, boy, what a great work the Lord is doing in my soul at those times. I'm so thankful for for the, the trials that I went through because the Lord carried me through. And I say that's well and good. And I love those testimonies. A lot of those testimonies were given last week. And I'm encouraged by those. But let me press you even a little further into this in everything. Give him thanks because these are the testimonies that I really, really like. I mean, the one to say, hey, God has blessed me with these things. I'm wonderful. I mean, that's good. But you say, well, I've gone through these difficulties in my life and I'm thankful the Lord has brought me through those. Those are good. But here's the ones I like the best is that First Thessalonians 5.18, when we are thankful in all our circumstances, even in the midst of difficult trials at the moment, those are the ones I love the best. That's similar to what James says, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, it's in the trials that you're called to rejoice. James says that it's when you encounter various trials, not after you encounter various trials. I think I've handled the after pretty well. I mean, after the trial's out, whew, done with that one. I can kind of look at it and rejoice and go back and say, oh, that was, that was good for me. It's, it's the win problem that's hard for me. It's the during problem. And it's during the trials that we are called to rejoice. And it's not because the trials are lovely or pleasant. In fact, by definition, trials are ugly and unpleasant. But it's because of what you know awaits on the other side, Right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, knowing what it's going to produce at the end, knowing that when you get to the end, you'll be able to go back and, and 
Give praise to the Lord for the things that he has taught you. But he's saying that when you're through that, that's, that's when we ought to have this perspective. And I would say the same might be said of thankfulness in 1 Thessalonians 1.18. Be thankful, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance have its perfect results. So it's, it's when, it's in the midst of those things. That, that is the scope. God doesn't give us any leeway here to say, well, you need to be thankful, but not when you're in trials. Only after your trials can be thankful for the trials. He doesn't say that. He says in everything, including the trials, including the hardships, including the difficulties, give thanks. And many times God is getting our attention in the struggles. C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And when God is shouting at us, that ought to be a time in which we give thanks to the Lord. Because, here's what I say, God is doing something. You may not know what God is doing, but he's doing something. And if Romans 8, 28 is in your mind, that God's causing all things to work together for good to those who love God are called according to His purpose, you can trust that. And in the midst of your trials, you may not see it. You may not see it in this life. Job never saw it in this life. It may be in the life to come till you finally see it. It may be even good, ultimate good for God's glory. And it may be even martyrdom. So it may turn out sour for you, but you can know that, listen, God has got a plan in this trial and I am going to... Trust the Lord and praise the Lord through these things. And say, God, grant me the wisdom and help to see this. That's what we need to see. Uh, I was at my neighbor's house. Maybe last week or maybe ten days ago, Jeff. I was at your house. And um, Jeff showed me uh, a, little, a little portrait of, um, of the Footprints poem. And he just moved there and it was sitting on, he said, I'm going to put it up someplace. Have you put it up yet? <laughs> yeah, you put it up yet. It's going to go up someplace. It's the Footprints Poem. Really fits this concept I'm talking about exactly. Jeff's been through some difficult times and it's, it's a poem that touches him. And I think, this is, here it is. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints on the sand. Sometimes there are two sets of footprints and sometimes there's only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during my low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish and sorrow and defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, Lord, you promised that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have been only one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I need you most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints in the sand is when I carried you. I think many of you have probably heard that before. I've, I've heard it before. And I think it's appropriate here is that even in the trials and difficulties, we, we ought to be thankful to the Lord, right, that He's carrying us along. And we may not see that. Even looking back, we might say, well, I was struggling. And eternity will bear out that that's the very times which God was helping us and supporting us. And it gives us a perspective so we can give thanks to God in everything. Another example of that is Johnny Erickson Tata. This is, this is an excellent book. I'm not sure if we have it in the library. I, I hope we do. We should get it in the library anyway. The God I Love, uh, Johnny Exentata, a memoir. This is, you know, there's sometimes books, Yvonne knows this, sometimes books capture my attention. This book captured my attention one week, a couple years ago. And I started reading it and I couldn't, couldn't put it down. And uh, Johnny Exentata, if you don't know, is in a 
diving accident when she was 17, 18, something like that, 1967, 45 years ago. She's been in a wheelchair ever since. God has used her greatly to uh, really bless and uh, really trumpet the call of the handicapped. She's done a, a great work in her life. But um, she tells of the time um, in which she went to um, Bethesda, the, the pool of Bethesda. Who remembers what happened at the pool of Bethesda? Anyone remember? You've heard it before? Yeah, Jerry, what happened at the pool of Bethesda? Yeah. Yep, John chapter 5 tells a story about how the lame would sit around the pool at Bethesda and they, according to their belief, would wait for the angel of the Lord to stir the waters and try to be the first one in. The first one in was healed. And there's probably some miracles that did took place there that, that gave people that belief. So it's basically where all the handicapped, all the crippled people, all the sick people would assemble. And uh, her being, of course, in a wheelchair thought that this would be a good place to be, I'm sure, in some regards. And so she talks about how 30 years after her accident, she visited this place in Israel and got to go there. And she writes in her artistic way, which is wonderful, A flurry of dust swirled at my feet as a warm, dry breeze rose and tossed my hair. I was speechless here. Large tears welled in my eyes, and I sniffed hard as I imagined blind people clustered against the wall and the lame leaning against the pillars, I could see paralyzed people lying on stretchers and mats, their eyes searching and their hands pleading. And I saw myself among them, just as I had pictured so many years ago, dressed in a burlap cloak, lying on a mat, squeezed somewhere between a shady, cool wall and the paralyzed man who had been there for 38 years. And another dry breeze touched my wet face. Oh Lord, you waited more than 30 years, almost as many years as this paralyzed man you healed that day to bring me to this place. I gulped hard. Remembering the times I'd lain numb and depressed in my hospital bed, hoping and praying that Jesus would heal me and that he would come to my bedside as he did the man on the straw mat and that he would see me and not pass me by. I remember the times that Diana would read to me about this place. I thought of the marble statue at Johns Hopkins and Jackie lying next to me in the dark singing Man of Sorrows, just like we sung today, right? Ken waved at me from way down the ruins, so her husband was down, way down there and kind of waving, and she shouted back, You won't believe how many times I used to picture myself here! I called, my voice echoing across the crumpled stones and columns, and Ken nodded. He continued to explore below, and I leaned on my arm against the guardrail. I whispered, And now, after 30 years, I'm here. I made it. Jesus didn't pass me by. He didn't overlook me. He came my way and answered my prayer. And he said no. I turned my thoughts and my words heavenward. Lord, you're no answer to physical healing. Here it is the thankfulness. Even though she's not healed of her quadriplegia. Meant yes to a deeper healing, a better one. Your answer has bound me to other believers and taught me so much about myself. It's purged sin from my life. It's strengthened my commitment to you, forced me to depend upon your grace. Your wiser, deeper answer has stretched my hope, refined my faith, and helped me to know you better. And you are good. You are so good. I let the tears fall. I know I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't love and trust you were it not for... I looked down at my paralyzed legs for this wheelchair. Ken returned to my side, his chest heaving and his hands cupped, 
Look, I have something for you, he said excitedly, extending his hands. Water from the pool of Bethesda. I found it way down at the bottom of some steps. It was pitch black and scary, and I got some for you. A brisk wind rumpled our shirts as Ken placed his wet hands on my forehead. Lord, I thank you for my wife. And I cried and laughed at the same time. Ken's prayer was like a capstone, a seal on a most remarkable day. We said goodbye to the pool of Bethesda. And as we walked back up the path towards the lion's gate, I glanced back and shook my head in amazement. It wasn't often that I could presuppose God's motives, but I could with this one. He had brought me to the pool of Bethesda that I might make an altar of remembrance out of the ruins, that I might see and thank him for for the wiser choice, the better answer, the harder yet richer path. Ah, this is the God I love. The center, the peacemaker, the passport to adventure, the joy ride, the answer to all our deepest longings, the answer to all our fears, man of sorrow and Lord of joy, always permitting what he hates to accomplish something he loves. And he had brought me here all the way from home, halfway around the earth, so I could declare to anyone within earshot of the whole universe, to anyone who might care, that yes, there are more important things in life than walking. There's a great perspective of a woman who understands what it is in everything to give thanks. There's more important things than walking. I thank you, Lord, for this wheelchair because without it I wouldn't know you, wouldn't trust you. So even there are difficulties that come upon our lives which in those difficulties we are to give thanks because in everything we ought to give thanks. And, and we can do that because we know and trust in the goodness of God. Right? When the psalmists call us to thank the Lord, often it is tied to the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is... Good. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. There it is. We give thanks because He's good. And He brings things which work together for good in our lives, even though not everything is good that comes in our life. But but it's it's not... Thank the Lord, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord because He's done good things to you. Thanks to the Lord because He's good and His ways are not our ways and He may bring trials and difficulties which ultimately is the better good. Do you see that? Understand that? I give thanks in everything because His ways towards us are kind and gracious. He deserves our honor and our praise and we will readily give Him thanks at all times. That's why David said... Even when Saul is pursuing him, remember that David is, is running away from Saul who wants to kill him and David is in the wilderness and, and uh, he says this in, I forget what Psalm, I didn't write it down. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. I'm giving thanks to you, even when I'm being pursued by my enemies, because you, O Lord, are good. Well, one of my favorite passages in all of the literature comes from Robinson Crusoe. Um, written by Daniel Defoe, published in 1719. The book tells of a man, I'm sure you're familiar with the story, right? He was shipwrecked. Um, the ship was breaking apart. All of his crew drowned. He was the only one that survived. He was able to scrounge some things from the ship before the ship finally sank. And uh, he was on the island for 28 years until finally being rescued. It's a great story. And by the way, it's a thoroughly Christian story. Parents, fathers, this is a great thing to read to your kids. I read it to my first generation of kids, and I'll get to it with Steffi and David here at some point. Um, but it's a fictional book, but it, it shows Robinson Crusoe having this perspective. When he settled on the island, he, he wrote down this in his journal. 
He said, I now began to consider seriously my condition and the circumstances I was reduced to, and I drew up the state of affairs in writing, not so much to leave them to any who were to come after me, for I was like to have but few errors as to deliver my thoughts from the daily pouring upon them and afflicting my mind. And as my reason began now to master my despondency, I began to comfort myself as well as I could to set the good against the evil that I might have something to distinguish my case from the worse. And I state it very impartially, like a debtor and a creditor, the comforts I enjoyed against the miseries that I suffered. So here's what it is. Evil. Here's the evil, the miseries he suffered. He says, I'm cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. I'm singled out and separated, as it were, from all the world to be miserable. And on the good side, he said, but I am alive and not drowned as all my ship's crew and to be spared from death and that he miraculously saved me from death can deliver me from this condition. Evil, I'm divided from mankind, a solitaire, one banished from human society. I have no clothes to cover me. Good. I'm not starved and perishing in a barren place, affording no sustenance, but I am in a hot climate where if I had clothes, I could hardly wear them. Evil. I am without any defense or means to resist any violence from any man or beast. Good. But I'm cast on an island where there are no wild beasts to hurt me. And I saw, as I saw off the coast of Africa, and what if I had been shipwrecked there? Evil. I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. Good. But God has wonderfully sent the ship in near enough to the shore that I have got so many necessary things as will either supply my wants or enable me to supply myself even as long as I live. And then he says, upon the whole, here was the undoubted testimony. There was scarce any condition in the world so miserable, but there was something negative or something positive to be thankful for. And let this stand as a direction from the experience of the most miserable of all conditions in this world that we may always find in it something to comfort ourselves and to set in the description of good and evil on the credit side of the account. I trust you see what... Robinson Crusoe has to teach us there's scarce any condition in the world so miserable that there was something negative or positive to be thankful about it. And understanding that will give us a perspective here in everything give thanks that even in the most miserable circumstances you start writing some things and thinking hard you'll be able to find good. And the most extreme case of course is the crucifixion of Jesus. What was done to him was the most cruel, evil, wicked, abominable act that ever could have been done. God came in the flesh. His name was Jesus. All he did was love. Love God. Love neighbor. All he said was truth. Not a single lie came from his mouth. But instead of being received well, he was despised and rejected. He came into his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Instead, they rejected him and placed him on a cross to die. In him was life, and the life was a light of men, and the light came into the world, and the men loved darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. And Jesus said, everyone who does evil hates the light, and that's what they tried to do. Light was in the world, but the men loved darkness. So they sought to put out the light by crucifying Jesus. Think about this. Jesus was the only one who ever walked the planet who didn't deserve to die. We're sinners. The wage of sin is death. We deserve to die. But Jesus deserved to live. He deserved praise, he deserved glory, he deserved honor, and he received none of that. He was despised and rejected. Living perfectly, Jesus deserved to live. He earned that right. None of us earn nothing. But they nailed him to the cross. You might say it this way, that God came into the world and we killed him. This was the greatest injustice that has ever taken place. 
the greatest evil. Now, I know injustices happen to us, okay? But no injustice will ever happen to you like the injustice that happened to Jesus. Perfectly pure, perfectly righteous, killed as a criminal in a most shameful, brutal way. But, as Robinson Crusoe said, there was scarce any condition in the world so miserable that there was something negative, something positive to be thankful for it. And here's the thanks that we can give, right? Because of the injustice done to Jesus, God can righteously justify us in our sins. Because of, of what was done to Jesus, right? Not only the, the wrath of man poured out on him, but God's wrath poured out on him as well. We can receive the blessings that Jesus was punished in our place for our sins that we then can go free. And that's the only way then that God can be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. is because He justly right, punished our sins by Jesus on the cross. But then He graciously gives us simply through faith. He, he counts His righteousness. Right? By faith we believe God and God reckons it to us as righteous. So we believe God. He takes the good from Jesus' account and gives it to us. Takes our bad and gives it to Jesus. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The greatest evil in the world has abounding thanks coming out of it on the other side. And I just would pray that we as a church would be those who would realize, yes, there's thanks in the Gospel. There's thanks in Jesus and there's thanks to be given to God in everything. There's not a thing that will come across your life that you can't give thanks to God for. If you think hard enough. And may God grant us the wisdom to think hard enough to find thanks in everything. Let's pray. Father, I would pray that you simply might take this word and dig it deep into our hearts and create in us to be a thankful people, a joyful people, a prayerful people that, that pray and thank you at all times. God, do your work, I pray. God, and I pray that the thanks that comes up from these people would be a delight to my soul. I pray you'd help me to know your thanks, know what I ought to give thanks to you for more. Help us to find those triggers in life God, that that's where we'd be. We'd be people to exude thanksgiving in all circumstances. I pray especially this, this holiday season as we can think and complain about all the worldliness and all of the materialism and all the crowds and the bustle and the busy. God, help us to be relieved from a, great, from a complaining perspective to one of thanks and joy for the wonderful gift that you've given your son, Emmanuel. God is with us. His name is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God, help us to see all that we have in Jesus and how good it is. And let us, let us give us grace, God, in the midst of our trials, that we would thank you in the midst of them. God, the world might take notice that we are different, God, because we know that you are working your sovereign plan, even in circumstances which we don't understand, which we think have gone awry. God, which aren't good, but you are working them for good. And so may we trust you in those things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.